Hey everyone, this is William from A Fan's Perspective. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Well, when I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How to record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps people like to listen on? How do I make money from this podcast? Well, guys, the answer was really easy. The answer was Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with a great sponsor who wants to advertise on your podcast. That means you get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. Guys, let me be real. Anchor has changed the way I look at podcasts. It made it really easy for me to get in there, start editing my stuff, and get it out to you. So if you've always wanted to start a podcast and make money while doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start to join me and the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. Once again, that's anchor.fm slash start. I can't wait to hear what you come up with in your podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome to A Fan's Perspective. I'm your host, William Jones, and with me, as always, is Mr. Joshua Gray. What's up? Doing well. How are you? Did you have a good New Year? Oh, yeah. How about yourself? Oh, yeah. So, man, look, right now it's crazy. The National Championship game is Monday. Couple days away. Where did the time go? Same place it always goes to the past. <laughs> well, so we do have we do have the game Bama versus Clemson. Um, I am actually slightly excited about this just because I want to see that quarterback from Clemson. This is really going to be a big test for him. He's looked good all year, but let's be fair, Bama's defense is good. Clemson's is a little better. We'll put that out there, but I think this is going to be the first test this young kid has. Absolutely, absolutely. By far, this is the best defense that uh, Lawrence has come up against, and it's the best offense that their defense has come up against. Now, it's definitely going since, to be a show. Oh yes, yeah. Now, what I think is going to happen here, though, um, and by the way, I want to throw a big kudos to you because you predicted an eighty-plus game point game spread between Oklahoma and. Alabama, you know, it was actually 79. 79 points were scored in that game. So, so close to that that number. Uh, so, that was really <laughs> cool. Um, but let's talk about that because Clemson can light up a defense. There's no doubt about that. And from what I saw in that Alabama-Oklahoma game is Bama loves to get out. We've seen it all year. They strike hard and they strike fast. And they get that lead and then – they start to suck a little bit. Uh, what what yeah. does Saban need to tell his team to do? Because if they do that against Clemson, they're not going to bring another title home to Tuscaloosa. No, I mean, they got to get out to that fast start and they got to not look back. Um, and, and it's easier said than done against that Clemson defense. But oh, if, yeah. they can, if they can't jump out early to a lead, Clemson's not a very easy team to come back against. Absolutely not. Um, and, and that's the thing, uh, I know me and you in, in our last episode, when we talked about the college playoffs, um, we, we really, 
we we show we talked about our disgust or I won't even use the word disgust because that's a little strong. Uh, we talked about our unhappiness with Notre Dame being in that top uh, and Ohio State who you could slide right in there and there'd be no argument for it. Uh, Georgia, if you didn't want to go with Ohio State, even though Ohio State should have been there because Bama had already beat Georgia earlier for the SEC championship. And to see Clemson destroy the fourth team 30 to three, um, that kind of, that kind of made what me and you were talking about a little bit more valid is, you know, how does Notre Dame squeeze into that spot? Yeah, it's, it's all about the committee. I mean, they're looking for the biggest draws. And when you're talking about biggest college programs, you're, you're looking right at Notre Dame, but it's, it's not an even playing field because the, the Notre Dame doesn't have a conference to run through. They don't have a Big Ten to chew them up and spit them out, an SEC to chew them up and spit them out, or an ACC even to chew them up and spit them out. So they don't have to face the same same teams in and out so that teams are getting to know them. I mean, obviously they play Michigan every year and they play USC every year. And that Michigan yes. they had was impressive, but they didn't beat anybody after that. Well, I actually think you made a good solid point is for years, especially in the 80s, early 90s, uh, Notre Dame was kind of like a face of college football. You know, Rudy came out, woohoo. Um, but you, you, for years, you thought about, you know, that blue, that or that navy blue almost uniform and gold helmet. Like Notre Dame was out there. And I think, unfortunately for Notre Dame, that kind of put them in a situation this year that maybe as a head coach, I wouldn't have wanted my team in. Right. Yeah. The expectations that were put on Notre Dame. um, I mean, they just weren't in even the same level as Alabama Clemson. They would have got, and that would have been the result, no matter what of the three teams they played, they would have got boat raced by all three teams in the playoffs. Now, since, since we're talking about, uh, the two games before, you know, the upcoming game uh, Monday. Um, Bama did have to tighten down their defense. So Bama got a little work in uh, qualifying for the championship game. Clemson just kind of was like scrimmage in a high school. So is that – do you think that's going to hurt Clemson maybe in the beginning part of the game where they, they're having to knock out, you know, the rust of not having – they've been through the motion, but they really haven't – you know, had to make reads and, and read a quarterback's eyes for, you know, four quarters so far. Yeah, well, Clemson's got to kind of get out of their own way because if we remember correctly, yeah, that score was ugly. But halfway through the second the halfway through the second quarter, it was only a nine to three game. Yeah. So Clemson can't get out to that slow of a start against Alabama. Just a Conversely, like I said, Alabama has to get out to a fast start. Clemson can't get out to that slow of a start. All right, so before I move on, because there is another thing I want to talk about with the national championship, I do have to ask you, who's winning, Bama or Clemson, and what's your spread? You know, I think it's going to be a high-scoring game, and I think the true winner is going to come down to 
which defensive set front seven can have a bigger game. Because those are the stars of the game. Bama's front are easily their best position groups. And same thing with Clemson. The secondaries leave a lot to be desired on both teams. So I think it's going to be a shootout. I'm, I'm thinking we're looking in between 60 and 65 points plus for, a, for an over-under. Even though the, the books have them at 59, um, and they have Bama as a four-and-a-half point, five-point favorite, depending on where you're looking. I can see Clemson winning this game outright. Um, and I'm going to go for a dark horse, and I'm going to say Clemson wins 38-35. 38-35. Cool. Well, actually, <clears throat> to be honest with you, um, I'm actually with you on this. I actually think Clemson's going to pull it out. I think that uh, honestly, Nick Saban's got a lot of work to do, and I don't get me wrong; he's had the time right now. Um, but it's hard when teams through an entire season have fallen victim to the same thing. For Alabama, it has been they've got ahead, and then that defense has laxed off a little bit. They've been so dependent on their offense to win these games. Um, anytime a team puts up a strong defensive front against them. You know, you look at Mississippi State and Alabama, State's defense put up a hell of a fight, and it wasn't a high-scoring game. Bama had to fight for that game. Um, and I think that's what we're going to see Monday is we're going to see Clemson's defense come out, step up. And um, I don't think I'm going to pick it to be as high as you. I think I'm going to go uh, 21-14. I think it's going to be a little bit lower. But I do have Clemson coming out on top. So, but you got Clemson by seven. I do. I actually do. Um, so here's my thing. So the big story right now should be the two teams, but it's not uh, because this is one of the uh, first national championship games where literally 24 hours before the game, there's still tickets on sale. We're talking from nosebleed and that, you know, that I can understand. That's, that's not uncommon for, you know, events to have nosebleeds, but we're talking about those $13,000 VIP seats. There's still some of them available too, for this game. So my question to you is, is this just fatigue of Bama and Clemson or does it have more to do with the location of how far it is from, the home area of these two schools since both of them, you know, you got Alabama, Tuscaloosa and South Carolina. So which do you kind of feel like it is? I think it's more of a locale. Um, you're expecting people to show out all this money for the tickets and get airfare and hotel in California, which is ridiculous in price anyway. Everything's so inflated there. It's like it'd be like having it in New York City. Oh yeah, in the Metrodome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're in the same boat there. Nobody paying thirteen grand for a ticket for a VIP section. You have to be insane to have that kind of disposable income. Well, let's let's. I'm glad you brought that up. Let's talk about that because in American sports, in American sports, the college football national championship 
is the second most expensive ticket to get your hands on other than the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. And and that just says a lot about our culture and how much we love football. Exactly. Um, And and that now that's the thing. But I agree with you on that. So you're talking about for a college team, you're saying a super fan's going to spend, say, 13 five on just the ticket. And then you're talking about a flight over there, round trip. So you're talking about probably a grand for that. Then you're talking about a hotel for a couple days because you're not just going to fly out there for one day and come back. So, right. yeah, you're talking about these super fans spending close to $20,000, if not more, on per just the entertainment part of it. Per person. That's ridiculous. Yes. Um, so, yeah, you know, that I'm with you on that. That's kind of crazy. And I do think that, I, you know, I know me and you have talked about this before, but and you and you're giving me the reasons why you don't think it would work, but I think once the four teams have been selected, the top four, that gives us what about a month before the actual championship game. Uh huh. Um, I think that when you take those top four, you should look where they're at and pick kind of like a central locale as a neutral ground territory. I know you'll never actually get neutrality. I get that. Um, but there has to be some way to, and I know everyone wants to go East coast or West coast, but you know, they couldn't use the AT&T stadium because Dallas is playing tonight. And, you know, it's, they're going to have just came off this game. So they wouldn't have been able to get the stadium ready in time. Right. But why not pick a, a neutral territory towards the center of the nation and say this is it this is where we would do the old rose bowl field where you knew where the rose bowl was going to be every year yeah and but the the problem with that is you you take it to the middle of the seat the the country um then you're looking at kind of indianapolis or st louis yeah and those areas but you also got to think then the Pac-10 is not going to be out of this college football playoff forever. Then you're going to have a West Coast team and an East Coast team. And it's, it's going to be your same travel to the center of the center of the country. Well, no, no. I, and I, I get that. But so that's that's my point is because with with doing it towards the center of the country, both sides have to travel in. Right now, when you look at this setup, East Coast has to travel all the way to the other side of the country for this game. Even if it had been Oklahoma and Clemson, that might have been more understandable. Not really, because you still got Clemson traveling all the way to California for this game. And Oklahoma, who's in the center of the nation, that's that's less of travel. That's less of their players being exhausted to me. And that's what it always comes down to me for is traveling like that takes a toll on these players. So you're asking one team to travel, you know, all the way across the country, the other team's traveling half the, half the distance. Right. And then, then you also got to look at, um, is the city equipped to handle that influx of people? 
yeah. Now I do agree with that. That's one thing that uh, because you can't take you know, I don't know, you can't take a small town like I'll use my hometown, Lumberton, Mississippi, that has a four way stop in it, and say, oh, we're gonna hold the college championship here. Now I know that would never happen. But that's the idea. Wherever this game is, there's going to be a large influx of people. And I get that. You've got to make sure that whatever town's holding it is going to be able to handle that influx of people. Right. And that's why Cleveland, even if they had a dome, would never host the Super Bowl. Yeah. I mean, it's just not set up to to equip it at this time. So we've talked a little college football. I want to talk about something a little different right now. And and that's because right now we're right in the middle of wild card, right? Wild card um, weekend. So we had Indianapolis versus Houston earlier tonight, and Indianapolis won that game. Um, so my question is, is it's not really a question as much as a statement for me. I don't I don't really know if Indianapolis even beating Houston is going to be able to make it past the next round. Um I think they were kind of lucky to get in. Um but I don't know what what Andrew Luck we're going to get. I know we we had a good he was out there playing good tonight, but we don't know from week to week which Andrew Luck we're going to have under center. Yeah, I mean they went on a tear this last uh the last few weeks, with that, the only exception being that game against Jacksonville of all teams. Yes, he's been lighting it up as, as of late, and they went on a on a quite the streak to get to where they are and into the playoffs. Yep. So, um, the other the other game going on, and it's going on right now, and, and just to let everyone the scores tied three to three. It's Dallas and Seattle. Now, how important? Is it for, and we're going to do this in two parts. How important is is it for Dallas to pull off this win? And we're talking about for Dak Prescott's sake, but not just Dak Prescott's shape, because Dak Prescott just needs to get past that, what I call the Tony Romo hump, right? Tony Romo could get him to the playoffs, but it could never really push him into the playoffs or deep into the playoffs. But how important is it for this for it to show that Jason Garrett? He's not washed up as the coach of Dallas, like that that the players still have confidence in him. Well, I mean, if they keep up with this, if Dak Prescott keeps up with the tradition of doing a one and out, you kind of got to look back and say maybe it wasn't a Tony Romo issue. Maybe it was yeah. a Dallas Cowboy issue or a Jason Garrett issue. Yeah, and, and my biggest fear, though, is – is and that's because I watched Dak play in, in college. I was I am a Mississippi State man, so I kind of and what you're seeing Dallas doing right now is is that playbook is looking more of that three step back and throw or get outside of the pocket extended. You're seeing more of the same play style he did at Mississippi State, and it, and it's benefited them. They won the last seven of eight once they started slowly adjusting their their play style. Mm-hmm. But my biggest fear is people are going to overlook that if they lose tonight. And they're going to look at, well, now we need to get rid of Dak Prescott. We need to get rid of Jason Garrett. They're not going to look at the fact that when what we talked about 
one time on our on this podcast is you have to feed Ezekiel Elliott. Well, now they're doing that. They're just in the in the first quarter of this game tonight. They they were so balanced from play or from pass to run, from pass to run. It took the third possession or fourth possession of Dallas's before the Seahawks ever got them into a third down situation, and it was third and one. Yeah, I mean, um, so clearly, I think that's what I'm worried about is because Dak Prescott has showed or shown progression up until this point. But I'm afraid that fans, having dealt with uh, years of a down spiral, won't look at that uptick that they've had over the past two years. And they're just going to look at, oh, my God, we need to clean house. When, in fact, I I don't think that's what they need to do. It is a what have you done for me lately league. <laughs> and exactly. The same thing happening year in and year out gets old. Um, I don't think, like I said, I don't think it's a Dak Prescott or I don't, I'm getting to the point where I don't think it was a Tony Romo issue. You no. mentioned um, uh, Jason Garrett being washed up. Well, he hasn't really improved or dissolved from what he started out as. Exactly. Um, and and I think that's my thing is I think um, what I'm worried about is Jerry Jones saying, all right, it's time to clean house. When when you look at this roster, they have a solid team. Yes. But I think that the team's being mismanaged from the sideline. Uh, the offensive coordinator is doing over the last eight games has done amazing. Yeah, they won seven of eight, but he's making play calls that this team tends to run and be more excited about. And I, and I think uh, if if I have any Dallas Cowboy fans that are listening to this, I think you need to be patient with the players on the field um, because you don't need to clean house. You don't need to wipe out everything that you've built up so far. Clearly, the one common thread is, I hate to say it, Jason Garrett. He has been here for the whole thing from making it to well, I don't. Jason Garrett hasn't ever really been successful in the playoffs for these guys. No. Now, so conversely, now that we've talked about Dallas, what would an early exit for Seattle mean? So I'm glad you brought that up because my thing is, is if if Seattle wins, um. I think that's going to be a big step for them because Dallas's defense is is great this year. Um, but I also think that Pete Carroll needs this just as bad as Jason Garrett needs this. See, um, I don't know if I see that. Well, so all right, so if we if we take away the the Super Bowl, right? Uh, that um, that Pete Carroll and and Russell Westbrook won together. Uh huh. And you look at what they've done since that point. They've been successful here and there, but you look at Pete Carroll's decision to not really work well with Marshawn Lynch. Because I'm going to be out frank with you. I think Pete Carroll was a big part of Marshawn Lynch going to the Raiders or leaving the game temporarily to go to the Raiders. Um Pete Carroll's an amazing coach. He had an awesome career as a college coach, and he's done great at the NFL level. 
But I do think that if the Seahawks lose, that the front office is going to look at Pete Carroll and expect some kind of answer to say, hey, this is what happened. This is where we need to improve. See, to me, you can't throw out the two. I mean, they were one play, one defensive stop, or no, one offensive play, handing the ball off to winning two straight Super Bowls. So that's my question. How? All right. So if you're the GM and your coach just got put out in the wild card, your team, you bring in your coach, you bring in Pete Carroll and say, hey, so let's talk about what happened. And, and he starts talking about all the positives that's happened from the time he's been there till, till this year. Do you not look at him and be like, okay, why didn't you hand off the ball? At this point, for three, four years down the road, if that conversation hasn't already taken place, it's not going to take place now. (laughs) (laughs) And and I think, I guess that's just me being selfish because that is a question I want to know. And I'm a Patriots fan, but I want to know, why aren't you running the ball with the best running back in the league at that time? Yeah. but It it doesn't make sense to me. with, With Pete Carroll, I mean, I don't think it affects him at all. I think... That, that'd be like saying, faulting Bill Belichick for losing to the Eagles. Yeah. He's not well, close to losing his job over losing to the Eagles or the Giants twice. Right. So, forget all this. Let's talk about tomorrow. You Let's got do it. The Los Angeles Chargers versus Baltimore. Philly versus Chicago. Let's get it to go. So, Los Angeles Clippers versus Baltimore. Joe Flacco apparently is going to be on the bench. Um, How do you feel about that? What do you think? I mean, what are they thinking? Flacco, I think, stands out in these in these tough situations. He's clutch, man. Like, I don't know if I'm benching Joe Flacco in the playoffs, no matter how bad. I, I, I want to start him at the beginning of the game. And if he's not hot, then I'm taking him out. But I feel like you got to start Flacco. No, until somebody can can prove that they can stop this this hybrid running attack that Baltimore's been running the last two three weeks, I mean you just run with the hot hand. I mean nobody's been able to touch them. And just two weeks ago, Baltimore ran straight down the Chargers' throat. All right, so we're, we're gonna we're gonna keep the games about tomorrow put it short. So I'm gonna ask you real quick: L.A. or Baltimore? Um, I'm going to go with the Chargers. They have tape on them. They know what to expect. They have um, Austin Eckler and Melvin Gordon back. They didn't play in the first time around. I think it's going to be a different game, and I think the Chargers are going to win. All right, so next game, Philadelphia versus Chicago. And rumor has it, Carlson Wentz is going to be on the bench. Nick Foles is, from what I'm hearing, starting that game. How does that make you feel? Well, I'm not too sure that uh, Wentz is even healthy enough to play. Um, but even it didn't. It doesn't matter who, who which of them is going to play. Um, Chicago's defense is just too good, and they're going to come out soundly and and move so, on to them too. I'm going to throw a little thing out there because I've talked about it before. If Nick Foles goes under center and gets them past Chicago, 
And then Nick Foles has a good showing in the next round. Granted, whoever they be playing. They'd be playing New Orleans. So my thing is, is, and what I'm trying to get to is how does anyone argue the backing of Carlson Wentz when this will be the second year in a row that Nick Foles has stepped in and saved your team and kept it going? Well, last year, I don't think you can fault Carson Wentz. He got hurt. He wasn't no, able no, no. to win. Well, and, and I get that. Um, but my point is, is not every NFL team has a, a backup that can step in and do what Nick Foles did. Absolutely not. Some people don't um, even have a starting quarterback that can do it. <laughs> but my question is, is do you take that? If, if Nick Foles does everything you wanted to him, if he has a good showing against New Orleans, all of that, do you take this opportunity knowing that Carlson Wentz is now, let's face it, he's injury prone. Do, do you take that opportunity and see if any other teams will deal you a solid hand for him? Or do you just kind of keep doing the same thing and hope you can bring Wentz back into the, the fold? Um, at the price you're paying Carson Wentz, you're not going to be able to hold on to Nick Foles. I mean, this was a big thing last year. People were teams were trying to trade for Nick Foles, and they didn't want to trade him. Um, not sure what his contract situation is, whether he's still under contract or if he's going to be a free agent. But I expect Foles to be elsewhere next year. Well, that's my question. If you're Philadelphia, which hand are you dealing? Are you trying to deal off Carlson Wentz, who no. hasn't been healthy in two seasons? For a quarterback that is healthy, that if he does now, this is all granted he does well all the way through, you know, New Orleans. Like if he has a strong showing. Or no, do I'm, you I'm go not. with so what we're 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 what they were paying Carson Wentz, uh, you can't afford to uh, just drop him right now. I mean, you you traded anything and everything to get up to two to take him. Um, you mortgaged your future. You're paying him buku dollars on a number two pick salary for two or three more years. You just you can't just throw that away. And I, I'm I'm glad you brought that up about uh you know I I just this brings me back to Dak Prescott for a second. The dude's still on your rookie contract, bro. Yeah. Like, that's what's cool to me. It's like he is playing very well. And if you're a Dallas fan, listen to me. Listen to me. He's not costing you a lot of money to have under center. And clearly, he's a, a good option right now. His arm's getting better. His legs are getting better. He's reading defenses better. Stick with this offensive setup you got with them ramming the ball with Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott learning his players very well. Mari Cooper, just a great addition for them. Give it time. Now, of course, we're winding down here, and <laughs> I, I can't get out of here without having Gray's Corner. Now, this is something new I'm calling it. I didn't call it this last year, but Gray Cor Gray's Corner is going to be, I want to talk about the takeaways that your beloved Browns, what their fans can take out of this season and look forward to going into next year. Well, looking forward to the next year and next few years, uh, speaking of rookie contracts, can I say Baker Mayfield and Nick Chubb? <laughs> <laughs> that would be uh, pretty nice. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great feeling going into 
going into an offseason, your team was in conversation for the playoffs in week 16 for the first time after going 0-16 the last season. Yeah, exactly. 1-31 the last two seasons. <laughs> it, uh, it's definitely a breath of fresh air. Um, we're all looking at uh, keeping a close eye on the quarter or the head coach hunt at this time. Um, we've yeah. already interviewed six or seven guys. Still have about six or seven more on the docket to interview. And Condoleezza Rice. <laughs> yeah, fortunately, that was that was just facetious, and that wasn't a real thing. <laughs> oh my goodness! But so I, I'm torn. I would love to keep the same structure that we have, but I don't think they're going to. Which means you're gonna we're gonna lose Greg Williams. Yeah. Um, the thing is, I, I I stand by. I think Greg Williams would be a great – give him a one-year contract and let him see what he can do. Um, from the beginning of, you know, all the way through spring, uh, all the way to the end of the season, give him the chance to, to show that these players – if these players have bought into what he's doing, all of that. Because, honestly, I think Greg Williams – could just could just go into next season and with the momentum that y'all that y'all gained with him as the head coach, y'all. I mean, it could be a great season for y'all. But I agree with you. I do think that uh, we're going to see Greg Williams disappear. Yes, they're going to go because the hot hand in the league right now is uh, McVay, off young offensive mind. That's yep. kind of where everybody's looking to go. That's why there's so much interest in Freddie Kitchens, our offensive coordinator. Yes. And there's talk about him getting promoted. He's never been a coordinator before the last eight games of the season. Now there's head coach talk. <laughs> Which, look, look, all right, so here's my issue. And I'm, I'm an open Patriots fan. I get it. I catch a lot of crap for it. I understand that. But here's my thing. You take Matt excuse me, the head coach of the Lions, right? Yep. Um, you look at how long he learned under Bill Belichick before he moved into that. And I, I think that's what pisses me off about some of these these organizations. Now, granted, sometimes it works. Sometimes it does. But for the most part, when you take a, a someone that has never been a coordinator, never out, outside of one season and not even a full season and you say hey guy here you go be a head coach i think you run the risk of your players not really wanting to to go along with that too much or your players are second guessing what what's yeah, going on on the can't get behind them can't fire them up yeah all right mr gray um i'm gonna give you the final word if you and this is a very early prediction because we're in the playoffs right now, I want to know where do you see your Browns at next year? If everything runs the way you would like to see it go, realistically, where do you see your Browns at this time next year? Um, as of right now, I gotta trust what John Dorsey's doing. If he can shore up that linebacking core and get some run stoppers in that linebacking core, I could – I'll say it for you. How's that? We're going to win the AFC North. I see them being in the playoff picture 
and playing at least in the wild card next year. That's And once again, I'm a Pats fan, but I do like what I saw the Browns do this year. And I think if they continue forward, like you said, trust what they're doing. And I think we'll see them in the playoffs next year. Final early prediction, Browns host a playoff game next year. Oh, that's bold right there. All right, so um, the last thing I'm going to say is we talked about Bryce Harper at one point. Um, I just wanted to put it out there that right now the running candidate looks like he will probably be staying in Washington. Because nobody else will pay him that ungodly (laughs) money. Look, look, (laughs) when his agent pulled that mess that his agent pulled, which is, hey, make an offer. Show me what you got. And no one jumped on it. You have to, I mean, I knew he was probably going to go back and look at what he was offered from Washington. Because Mm -hmm. Washington will pay him to be there. They like him as a player. They're going to be the team to say, hey, look, yeah, you kind of fucked up by not taking our original offer because now we see no one else has interest in you at the moment. So they're probably going to lowball him a little bit more. He can't afford to sit out a season because that really, especially in baseball, that really takes away from people seeing you and keeping your name out there. So, you know, I think we're going to see Bryce Harper back in Washington, man. It's looking more and more like that. It's been another another quiet season. All right, brother, man. Um, Until next time. Until next time. And I want to thank everyone for listening to us. This has been a fan's perspective. Once again, I'm your host, William, and that's been Mr. Joshua Gray. We're going to do this every Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday of every week. Look, check us out. Subscribe to us. We're available on all streaming platforms. Pass it along to a friend. The only way we can grow is with your help, guys. Hey, it's been fun. Josh, we'll yell at you later, man. Absolutely. Take care. Send us those topics. Yo.